Welcome to episode 47 of 18th Wall Productions presents the television crossover universe on the Grand Gignol Network. Coming to you live from behind the chrome microphone of excellence, we have me, James Boyachuk, CEO Dubois of 18th Wall Productions, and normally we would have M.H. Norris, mystery maven of sci-fi sorceress. But she decided that going to work and getting a paycheck is more interesting and more worthwhile than talking to you, our dear listeners. I apologize. So instead, we have someone much more trustworthy, someone who has the wisdom to guide us away from danger. My fellow CEO of 18th Wall Productions, Ben Casson. Great to be on the show. Yes, I am Ben Casson, equally hard to pronounce title of 18th Wall Productions and far less fickle when it comes to money. But at least his last name is easier to pronounce. <laughs> And of course, as always, the TVCU crew is a team of crossoverists who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots through official crossovers and Easter eggs, all in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality we call the television crossover universe. Now, what do we have to plug? Well, this is completely unrelated to me, but there's this fantastic book of Arthurian literature that recently dropped, uh, After Avalon, I believe you heard it by 18th Wall Productions, and excellent read shocked full of fantasy yes let's just talk about it like we're completely uninvolved i especially appreciated how the editor nicole petite who i have never met once complete stranger yes a very strange stranger is dedic didn't do the expected thing so you don't have ten thousand stories about merlin and 50 stories about lancelot you have very strategically chosen stories with each character that really sums them up and shows how they exist in the post-Arthurian world, which I thought was a very nice touch. Yes, indeed. And for those of you who don't know, the title After Avalon refers to the famous Avalon Hill, which is the location at the end of the Arthurian tale originally. This is implying that these are, in fact, stories coming after. Exciting stuff, folks. Yes. For my shameful plug, I would like to say I am still annoyed at Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, a movie from the 1970s. I know I hate this movie. I watch it every five or six years, but I know I hate it. But I still have to watch it because there's so much in it I love. And it's annoying because the movie's garbage and the movie doesn't know how to function. Like, the movie has this idea that there are different vampire species. They're all unique, and every time you fight a new vampire, it's a mystery figuring out what will hurt it. That barely figures in the movie. Most of that's only mentioned once and forgotten about. I love the idea of an Errol Flynn swashbuckler in a gothic horror movie, but there's no vampires in the movie. There's barely even any gothic horror. It's just all of this wonderful ideas, like the main character is a useless weirdo because he's struggling against a vampire bite he picked up years ago. But that's barely even there for Fridge Logic. It's just a frustrating, broken movie. So there's an anti-shout-out. This thing frustrates me. I want its ideas done better. A frustrating... A frustrating, broken movie with no real vampires and annoying main character... Well, yes. maybe Twilight wasn't such an original hoax. <laughs> but, yes, and for my shameless plug, the new edition of our former master host, Robert E. Ronsky's book, The Horror Crossover Encyclopedia, is coming out in a brand new edition. 
with better design from a much better graphic designer that really brings out the cover's full potential. An all-new introduction from Gangnol Network's very own Dynamo Mars. And select entries have been updated, repaired, and generally fixed to really show the full power of Rob's research. This was one of our first books, and I am very proud to bring out in a much better corrected final edition. Finally doing it justice. And while we're on the topic of horror, I would just like to also plug an exciting release yet to hit the stores, Dead West 2, the second book in the series. Now, this won't be coming out too soon, but it'll be on the future, and we're actually going to have its author here on the show today. Which is the main reason we brought it up in the first place. We're sneaky like that. Yes, we are. And now you can see the full extent of our sneak right after this break. I was supposed to be introducing Nicholas Prom of Comics Reflections right now. But unfortunately, he also was published to work. So, at great expense, at the last moment, we brought in, direct from Europe, one of the top performers of our age... J. Patrick Allen with his famous Dead West troupe. Now, J. Patrick Allen, a.k.a. James, a.k.a. JP, a.k.a. you'll see, is one of our favorite writers at 18th Law Productions. He was discovered by Nicole Petit for the award-winning Dragon Lord Secretary Volume 1 with his award-winning story, Dragonfly Shadow. From there, Nicole knew she had something golden on her hands and asked him to expand that story out into a full series, looking deeper into the characters, their world, and everything that goes bump in the Old West. Now, I won't go too much into describing his story because I have a feeling we have about an hour to do that. So instead, I will also say he is one of the hosts and originators of Rocket Punch Radio, and he has his hands in quite a few other intriguing cookie jars, which we will no doubt discuss as we progress. So, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? Well, I mean, I'm alive. <laughs> so, Pretty good. Ben, would you like to start off with the first question? Uh, yes. Now... Before I start with any official questioning things or things that don't sound like a gushing fan, I, I just got to say something about your series, uh, JP, as you prefer to be called. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, one of the things that's really strong about this series, Dead West, if you haven't already picked up the first cu- first book, which you definitely should, is the way you introduce characters. You really work to build a world in this series, and... The way you do it is just so steady and consistent. Each character feels so conducive to the environment, so necessary for that point in the story, which I I find refreshing considering a lot of works these days. People want to have the massive cast of characters. I've heard some authors come up with ridiculous ideas involving hundreds of characters just to try and support the world they're creating. Um, What would you say is your biggest inspiration behind these characters? Do you draw from people you know, fiction you've read, what? Uh, I really, I end up picking it up from a lot of places. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Samuel, one of the principal protagonists, is definitely based off of a few actors and a few characters from fiction that I'm really fond of. Um, Charlie is, he's kind of almost, you know, every author says, you know, characters are at least in some part them. 
Um, a lot of people have told me that when they read Charlie, they read, you know, who I was when I was a kid. Honestly, oftentimes I feel like I identify more with Samuel, but I can really see where people are coming up with that. It's it's it comes from a lot of places. You know, there's I, I have done a lot of reading in my life, but I've also met a lot of people, talked to a lot of people, watched a lot of movies. I'm I'm a pop culture junkie, so I've exposed myself to a lot of stuff. Um, all. Yeah, it's uh, I guess it's my characters tend to be kind of a pastiche of of a whole lot of different things. Okay, now before we go any further, would you like to tell our listeners about Dead West and what it is? Absolutely. Uh, Dead West is, it's, it's, I kind of refer to it as, as a story about the, the monsters that we take with us and, and what things lurk in the deep shadows of high noon. It's, it's an adventure story. Uh, ostensibly, it's supposed to be Western horror, but I don't think I'm so good at the scary. It's, it's. Really more adventure stories about uh, a boy growing up learning the art of hunting monsters during the period of the Western expansion. Uh, The first book, West of Pale, takes place in 1871, and it centers around a a young boy and uh, his mentor, uh, Samuel, who is a, a Civil War veteran suffering under what they don't yet know is post traumatic stress disorder. But, uh, they encounter all sorts of creepy creatures and, and weird circumstances. And one of the things that I've been slowly uncovering as the series goes on is that even though there are supernatural elements to it, the the real monsters have a tendency to be human or human in origin. Yes, indeed. Monsters would, do lie within us all. <laughs> I would call it horror because you tend to go a shade darker than most Hellboy stories. I, I would be honored to be compared to Hellboy. Uh, I definitely loved those books in college, but uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's. Uh, I sometimes I think authors are a little too close to their own work to be able to judge it fairly. Okay, so you're saying that we should quickly boot you off the show, get some of your readers to talk yeah, about Dead West for you. Yeah, I've got uh, I've got a, a street crew that might be more qualified. <laughs> For those of you with a time machine equipped with a phone, maybe in a blue box, you should quickly call in now to the number 555-555 going on infinity on repeat. <laughs> Save me. <laughs> okay, so I have, I'm going to jump ahead to this because okay. Karnacki, the Ghost Finder, is sort of our show's mascot. We've had more guests who write Karnacki than any other character. <laughs> this is one of those odd accidents of fate that we're just going to keep on encouraging. So, I hear last year for John Linwood Grant's should-be award-winning site... Actually, no, I gave it an award last time. Actually, award-winning site, Great Dog's Tales, you wrote a story. And apparently, it's being reprinted. So, tell us about this and where our readers will soon find it. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's going to be reprinted in the second volume of Dead West, uh, in Bonds of Blood. Uh, it's going to be in the back, uh, kind of as a reader's bonus, you know, something to say, you know, hey, thank you, check out this other thing. Uh, it's I was introduced to Karnacki, actually, by James here. Uh, he said, here's this thing that's up your alley, I think you should check it out. And after I was thoroughly hooked, he said, also, you should write one. <laughs> He introduced me to John, and uh, we got together, nailed out a story in a matter of uh, two or three weeks, and uh, it was really fun to write. Uh, I 
I really kind of relish opportunities to try and figure out other writers' uh, particular styles and the quirks of the way that they use words. So that was that was really fun for me to do. Yes, and it seems to have even had an influence on the second Dead West book. Uh, just a little bit. I, I threw in a reference, just an itty-bitty reference, uh, for James's sake, knowing that he'd see it in there, and I thought it might get a chuckle out of him. Um, I do a lot of, of small references that are usually just for kind of my pleasure, uh, names that are references to things that I enjoy or, or small uses, usages of words. Um, the the monster hunters in these books, they have uh, little libraries that they carry around with them for reference for whatever they're hunting. Know thy enemy. And uh, I made a small joke about them using the uh, Sigsund manuscript in, in their references. <laughs> Very good. Walk us through your Easter eggs. Give us the annotated guide to Dead West. <laughs> uh, the two that I can think of off of off my off the top of my head are uh, obviously we've got the Sigsund manuscript reference in book two, and then at the end of book two, I introduce two characters that are going to be uh, really important to the series going forward. They are two members of a secret organization known as the Culper Ring uh, in the U.S. government, and they are going to. They're going to be, you know, like I said, I don't want to spoil anything, but they're going to be pretty important. But uh, their names are uh, Haywood and Lodge, which are a reference to a band I loved as a kid. Uh, my mom introduced me when I was in second grade to the Moody Blues, and two of their principal members were Justin Haywood and John Lodge. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. So, since we've oh, got go a lot ahead. of James is going back and forth here between the two of you. I think this is an excellent time to clarify something. Though you may hear me refer to my business partner here as Boychuck, to the rest of the world, as strange as it may seem, he is James. So from here on out, both to clarify things and as a nod to his Western work, we'll be referring to the author as Cowboy James. <laughs> I accept. And you have permission to put that on all of your business cards. <laughs> so, Maybe. Cowboy. I just printed okay. a run. <laughs> Darn. Next time. They're not Continue, that expensive. Ben. If you can print some more. Uh, <laughs> James. Yes, that's sticking. One of the key characteristics of your series, one that I found interesting right from the get-go, is the distinctive symbol that comes up a lot in the series, a compass rose with a skull on the west. Uh, mm. What was the inspiration behind it? I mean, it seems so simple and obvious now, but, I mean, how did the spark hit you for this. <laughs> um, actually, it's a bit of a story. Uh, early on in my practice of writing, before there was even the glimmer of uh, my getting published by anyone, I suspect probably before 18th Wall was even founded, I said to my wife, when I get published, I'm going to get a tattoo, and I think I know what it's going to be. And I decided that it was going to be the ISBN code of my first book. Um, and the James and Nikki ended up picking me up, and I turned to her again. She's she's not a fan of guys with tattoos, and but I I told her you know look I'm I'm gonna be getting that barcode, and she says why don't you do something else instead? And this was while I was in the middle of writing West of Pale, and I said there's not really anything in the book that would work well, and also I'm really pretty intent on this. And she says well why don't you do something that like 
you know, I don't know. And she sits down and over the course of like five minutes, she ends up sketching out this this thing that like Dad West, like uh, Compass Rose, the skull, she ends up actually working out that simple. And I look at it and I said, huh, this is this is actually really cool. And uh, I ended up incorporating that into the books as the symbol of the Charlotte Brotherhood, which are the, the knights uh, to, uh, that end up roaming around killing all of the monsters. Uh, just on her recommendation, she was the one who created the symbol uh, as a way of getting me out of putting a hipster tattoo on my arm. <laughs> Uh, but it ended up being something that I mean, imagine that you can just swipe it over checkout codes. It would be great. Wants to buy one, right? It's the best marketing. It's it's very convenient. I don't know. It kind of sounds like something they'd label the humans in dystopian camps where books rule over us all. I got the idea from a book that I'd read in college called Jennifer Government, uh, where the principal character had this mysterious ISBN or not an ISBN code, but a uh, a product code on a barcode uh, stamped underneath her eye, and the whole mystery was supposed to be, well, what is this thing? And it turned out it was the product code for a Malibu Barbie. That the the answer was actually kind of lame, but wow. uh, I Wasn't really liked the Charlie idea. Charlie Strauss. What's that? Wasn't that by Charlie Strauss? No, I, I don't think it was Charlie Strauss. It was the guy who was running the Nation States website at the time. I don't remember his name. I really so liked I Strauss. Feel like I started it. reading that book. And for whatever Strauss reason, is, my brain is going Strauss, Strauss, Strauss. No, Strauss's stuff is more cerebral than this book turned out to be. It was a fascinating concept, but, you know, it's I, I was a little disappointed by the reveal of the, the barcode mystery. So, I mean, here's your chance to make it better in real life. But then that's the question. Are you going to be an underclass to whoever gets the barcode for, say, the annotated War and Peace? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so I feel bad for the poor tattoo artist's hand who has to run it back and forth that many times, precisely enough to replicate a government-issued barcode. We're we're still in tattoo negotiations about that. She still thinks I should get the Dead West symbol, and I might, but then I might also get the barcode along with it, just to spite her. Yeah. Well, you probably shouldn't announce you're spiting your wife in front of an international audience. <laughs> I'm sure she's a very faithful listener to something her husband is appearing on. Uh, she doesn't even listen to my own podcast. Okay, so we're safe. What other <laughs> dirt safe. do you want to dish about your wife? Safe. No, you are you are completely <laughs> safe. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad for the person who gets the Twilight barcode. Oh my god! I am positive those people exist. I worked in a bookstore. From the beginning of that series' rise to its its eventual just kind of deadening out, and that was that was madness. To its there, popularity, I am, I am positive that there's a forty year old woman out there with a Twilight barcode on her somewhere. <laughs> oh, I'm oh sure. I'd wager that the author of Fifty Shades of Grey has it somewhere on her body, somewhere. <laughs> I do not like to think about. I don't want to think about where that might be. Yeah, regretted it as soon as it came into my mind. Somewhere anatomically improbable. <laughs> Back oh on to the thing that we indirectly benefit from, Dead West. Mm-hmm. So, for those readers who obviously haven't gotten a chance to even glimpse at Dead West 2, is there anything that you just want to tell them about it to get them excited? Anything you want to just pitch, you know, favorite monster, favorite character? 
favorite um, historical figure who suddenly appears and is absolutely charming, I may have a bias. <laughs> he he was not going to be so charming when I was originally planning that book. Uh, Wild Bill Hickok makes an appearance, and I was planning on making a couple of of references to my own personal beliefs about what kind of a person he was, but uh, in the end I decided they didn't serve the plot, so I left it out. Uh, he is definitely in there. Actually, I think my favorite character in that book only appears for... He appears for exactly one chapter, but he was just so fun. Uh, he's uh, There's a demon that they end up talking to, a little guy named Wither, uh, who calls himself the Duke of the Crossroads. He's he's the guy that makes all of the bargains. Uh, you know, if you if you want something from hell, he's the guy to talk to. Do I sense yeah. a little supernatural fandom, perhaps? I'm a lapsed supernatural fan, and he's he's. I mean, there is definitely some shared lore there, but uh, it's it works a little different in the end. Uh, I ended up going slightly more medieval and slightly less uh, southern with my uh, Crossroads Demon lore. I honestly saw a lot of Bradbury, Gaiman, and Wellman in it. I love Gaiman. Uh, I don't read a whole lot of Bradbury. He broke my heart in elementary school, and so I haven't picked one up since. But uh, I and I, you know, I, I actually I don't think I've read any Wellman. But uh, there is a lot of. I deeply apologize if Gaiman leaks into my work because I, I am definitely an avid reader of his stuff. I had the opposite problem where for about a year everyone told me write like you write like you write don't write and copy this guy. <laughs> I'd never read him before then. We ended up and I found this out by reading his essays later. Mm-hmm. We managed to be just similar enough because we had nearly an identical list of authors who inspired us. Ah. Uh, I've been told by people looking at my books that my writing style is a lot closer to Butcher, but man, if I could pull off being as cerebral and as uh, you know <laughs> beautiful in, in terms of my pro- his he just writes gorgeous prose. Uh, I am very envious of his writing style. Yes. I ended up with a similar event myself where I actually, well, Boychuk did this without my knowing. He ran my writing through an online analyzer that determines what, like, author, well-known entity writes most similarly to you and found a very high match for Lovecraft. He'd been pitching Lovecraft to me for a long time. I'd never picked up a single book. And then I heard that, and I'm like, okay, I got to see this. So I bought the complete collection of Lovecraft works, and I was like, oh, my God, I feel like I wrote half of these. I ran mine through that thing, and I think what they ended up citing as my highest influence was Mark Twain, at which <laughs> point I said, I I don't think this is accurate. I think you broke it, because I got Conan Doyle, and that's incredibly accurate for me. <laughs> I, so I don't know, maybe you I broke to, it. You maybe broke I need the internet view machine. I need to turn my browser's no script off. Maybe it'll work better. <laughs> Now, boy, Chuck, considering how much Holmes you write, are you sure you didn't just tweak the system a little, you know, submit all your best Holmesian stuff and be like, no, no I was trying to game the system in another direction because I thought that was nonsense at first. So I was submitting things I thought were as far from that as possible. 
he was trying to pull like one of those Harry Potter quizzes. He knew that he wanted to be in Slytherin, so he was trying to game the system. I don't, I don't think you read Harry Potter too closely. Wanted to be in Slytherin? Not Slytherin. Not Slytherin. Uh, but away from that European author to another. <laughs> oh Cowboy my. James was announced by horns. <laughs> is the cavalry coming to save you from Ben's next question? I don't know how bad is the question. You're not prepared for it. Oh, no. No, I was just thinking, we're talking so much about a sequel as yet to be. Is there anything that, in retrospect, you want to say about your first book? Are you proud of it? Things you regret? Things that changed over the course of writing it? Maybe something come out different than how you planned or imagined, much like the appearance of a certain Mr. Hickok? Uh, you know, <clears throat> when I... I'm, I'm a history buff, and so Hickok's inclusion really was supposed to be intentionally to be kind of a statement of what sort of person that I thought that he was. I wouldn't have minded being able to make that sort of statement, but I have been told that I'm an opinionated jackass, so... Maybe it's for the best that I didn't. Uh, a lot of people seem to regard him pretty fondly, and uh, maybe I don't need to burst that bubble. Yes, maybe you don't. <laughs> well, I think Ben was actually asking about the first book and your oh, the first opinions book. on that six or seven months out. Um, the first book had been actually incubating in my head for about two years before you guys had asked me to, to flesh out the the short story into a series. So I ended up actually working out a lot of the stuff that I'd wanted to do with it. Uh, I'm pretty pleased with the amount of spooky that got in there. and I actually am I'm really pretty happy with that book. Uh, in retrospect, given... Given some of the other stuff that's been going on with my projects recently, I'm I'm really very content with West of Pale. Oh yes, yeah, quite good. You totally really established a very good start to your adventures. Thank you very much. Um, so what inspired you to use the Nix and use it in a way that's a bit against type? I wanted something in the water. <laughs> I was, well, it, it's, I knew that Charlie was going to be the son of a German immigrant. And I wanted something from the old world that had a penchant for making deals. Uh, I started looking into German mythology regarding fairies, and I started looking into German mythology regarding water. And... Uh, the Nix, uh, the Necker, you know, however you want to pronounce it, he ended up being a really good intersection there. Um, you know, when we're talking the Nixies, they tend to be a little bit more pleasant, like the female versions of the Nix tend to be a little more on the friendly side, even if they do still get kind of the, the, the siren stereotype going, you know, hey, come out, hang out with me in the water, I'm a naked lady, and then, you know, suddenly you're drowning, but... You know, a lot of the stuff that I'd read about the Nix or the Necker, the male version of the Nixie, they didn't seem nearly as pleasant. <laughs> um, and it's just, you know, the more that I started to consider it, I started to form the story around what the monster was. And I had tried read, writing this book, you know, two two years prior, as I'd said. 
and I put it away figuring I wasn't going to be able to make this work. There was something in the story that just wasn't clicking. Uh, perhaps it was in the way that I was writing it and the way that I was handling the characters, something about the historical research. So I ended up putting it down. I got the call for Dragon Lord's Library. A previous person who had submitted to and been published by 18th Wall uh, had posted their listing. And I said, Kel, this is a really interesting-looking writing project. Uh, you know, this will be a fun exercise, even if nothing happens from it. And then when they gave me the call to say, you know, hey, we liked your story. We're going to publish it. Also, please turn this into a series of books. I said, oh, wow, I know just what to do with that. And <laughs> I had to take a moment to remember what the monster was going to be because I knew he was centered to the story. But once I remembered what he was, you know, all of the pieces started to fit back into place. And uh, actually, that was the fastest I've ever written a book. That that came out in 30 days from from when the guns went off. Oh, yeah, I was very surprised at how quickly you submitted it. I was very surprised at how quickly I submitted it. I think the more surprising one is we actually had someone with an even faster turnaround time recently. Really? Yeah. John Black's first Arthurian adventure mystery novel. We asked him, hey, you feel like expanding this? And we got it back just short of a month later. Someone I beat would, your record. You need to I would do shake book his four hand. like that. You need I to reclaim your title. Yeah, book three <laughs> has taken me so far uh, from the time that I, I put down the first words. It's been six months now, and it's still got a way to go. Uh, so I would love to go back to the to writing the first draft in just under 40 days. <laughs> you missed that spark of electricity that that you just jolt writing down the page. Yeah, well, this one, you know, I, I had a fire under me at that point, and also, like, I'd been stewing on this story for two years at that point. So, um, you know, a lot of my writing process is moments of silence where I'm not being required to do anything or if I'm doing something kind of mindless, my mind just kind of starts to wander into things that interest me, and I start telling myself stories which is how all of my writing really kind of began. I wanted to turn these things in my head into solid, actual creations so that I could stop thinking about them and turning them over, over, and over again. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's really a lot of the reason why the first one came together so quickly. The second one, I just, you know, I had fun writing it. And I've, I've enjoyed a lot of book three. But uh, book three, you know, in among other things, it's it's... Right now, in its current state, it is easily twice the size that I expected it was going to be. We'll see how it goes as we get closer to publication. You know, now, I held actually, up on. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, actually, I've I've gotten some ideas for ways that I can improve the book. Uh, some of it, definitely, with the help of Nikki, I am really actually fired up and excited about some of these new ideas. So I think this next section here is going to go really quickly. And I think it's actually going to be a really good book for it. You know, for all of the struggle, I think this is probably going to be the best one yet. Okay. Now, this is a question I've asked a few other people we've had on our show. Actually, you won Best Short Story in the New Pulp. No, I've messed that up. Pulp Arc New Pulp Awards. That's sometimes a mouthful. It's a bit of a, yeah. You are actually one of the last 2016 winners to be on the show. We've hit just about everyone else who won. So, how does it feel to win a 
win that award and not only win it, win it for, correct me if I'm wrong, your first published story. My first published story, yeah. You, my first published story and the second thing I ever submitted. I was mind blown. Uh, <laughs> I, I spent... 2015 and the first half of 2016 in this this state of paranoia like everything was going right and i was positive that the other shoe was going to drop any second and it didn't it all went great <laughs> it's <laughs> it's been almost unbelievable for me it, it's been great honestly you submitted your first well second work got published mm-hmm. and then received a massive trophy full of pulp yeah it was Must great great Oh, funny story for you. I don't think I've told you this. Mm -hmm. So I have a friend from England who I've never met in person. And he was on our Facebook page around the time that we put up the picture of you and MH with your awards. Mm -hmm. And apparently for several weeks, if not several months, he was convinced that you were this James. (laughs) Nope. And for months, he was trying to figure out how my voice came out of you. <laughs> I I think my voice doesn't really look like it matches me regardless. So there's still a bit of a dissonance there. <laughs> the cowboy hat is confusing. I need one. I need a good one. You know, that would actually be really great for any cons you go to. I've thought about it. I've I've already kind of got, like, my hat that I've been wearing for the last ten years that kind of stands for me but man i've always wanted a cowboy hat that would look good on me thing and is you know with- you could get your logo done as one of those neck slide ties get it cast <laughs> in brass or bronze or whatever really look the part i Bring i rock six shooter i rocked the bowl of tie in the sixth grade and it's it's not a good look <laughs> <laughs> perhaps rocked would be the wrong word then uh, yeah, I was I was trying real hard to impress a girl at a square dance that my school was throwing, and I said, yeah, ball of tie, I've got one of those. It, it wasn't a good look. While that may be one of the few acceptable situations in adolescence to wear a bolo tie, I still stand firm by my stance of bolo tie, never get the girl. <laughs> no, no. It's uh, like I, some I, kind of a wonderful Goldberg's-esque sitcom plot, the bolo <laughs> tie to impress a girl. Now, here's where the twist comes in, and that's actually your wife. It worked. <laughs> I, that, was, that was something else entirely. Actually, I'm still not sure how I pulled that off. I swear to this day that I, I'm married above my station. She's great. You married a bow tie chick with a bow tie kind of person. Hey, she is a bow tie chick. <laughs> she has a large collection of bow ties. Wow, sometimes you throw a dark blindfolded in a dark room and still hit it. <laughs> No, it's it. I I married a bow tie chick with a collection of zip ties for myself. So uh, I yeah, I didn't learn how to tie a tie until my first interview out of college. Hey, don't worry. I mean, if anything, I got into publishing so that I would never have to wear a tie. Oh man, that would be great. <laughs> Actually, you know, my my current day job affords me a pretty good opportunity to wear jeans and t-shirts on a daily basis. But can you wear cosplay to the office? No. Um, the federal regulations state nothing that obscures the face or hair. No, it doesn't say or anything hair. about color. Any, any, like anything from the neck down, I'm sure, would be fair game. Uh, they they tried to enforce a dress code otherwise at the very beginning. And then about six months in, they kind of just said, uh, 
screw it. I don't, I don't care. It's just do it. What? Where? Where would you want? My my usual dress code on a daily basis at that job involves a, a Mass Effect hoodie. So, so you're halfway there. I'm halfway. I'm basically yeah. I'm there. cosplaying. I'm cosplaying casual Shep. <laughs> you know, this just means you need to start going in as Marty McFly. Uh, fun story. My coworkers, when I first joined this job, they knew that I was a writer. They had that. The team formed all at once, and they had this like, "Hey, everybody, introduce yourself." And I'm like, uh, "Hey, hello. My name is uh, JP. I am a writer." And uh, one of the guys was like, "Oh man, get a load of this nerd." <laughs> he he gets onto my computer and he changes my logon name from my name to uh, George McFly. It's like, oh, oh <laughs> God, thank you, thank you for that. I don't know if I should be complimented or insulted. I have no idea how to feel about that either. Yeah, I'm I'm still conflicted. That was three years ago, and I'm still conflicted on that. Listeners, please write in and tell us how to feel. Tell we us how to help. feel. <laughs> <laughs> Did he miss out on a grander opportunity, though, by not retaliating in a Jim Dwight office war to end all the ages? I still don't know who it, who it was, but I've kind of embraced the George McFly thing, you know. He was an okay guy. He got the girl. He got published. It's good times for George McFly. It's true. He went I on mean, to a really weird movie career. He managed to steal Darth Vader from George Lucas. Yeah. <laughs> Guess you could okay, say he was one. What is Star Wars like in the new timeline? Really weird, actually. Awful. Wait, are we and talking he, just like the new talk- movie stuff? No, we're talking... Okay, so George McFly stole Darth Vader without knowing it. Well, he may have also accidentally stolen the Vulcan hand sign, too. That's true. Everything is different now. Marty McFly screwed the world. (laughs) Wait, didn't George Lucas have a really stupid first draft name for Darth Vader? I'm sure he did. George Lucas' best work was done when someone else was helping him edit it. It's true. George Lucas is at his best when someone tells him, no, George, think again. He needed he needed Lawrence Kasdan and his wife to really help him out. And, well, of I, course, lay bracket. I think we've it, moved far away from the West. Yeah, I'm sorry. Far, far away. <laughs> <laughs> Call me Mr. Tangent. Hello, Mr. Cowboy James Tangent. <laughs> Tangent is my middle name. Cowboy is my first. <laughs> James Actually, is the last. Tangent, my, mid, my last name. I like the sound of Cowboy Tangent James better. Cowboy Tangent James. My parents were drunk when they named me. I love how we just have wandered into I don't even know what. The so, said I couldn't be named to that. They said it was against the law. Pa said, try me. <laughs> Doctor, make my name. So, moving back to Dead West, what movies, Western novels, movies, TV shows, or what have you most inspired the series? And also, what are your favorites? Well, as as we've said, I, I am definitely a lapsed Supernatural fan. Uh, that tapped in real hard, too. That that gave me encouragement in the whole idea of, like, hey, yeah, these scary things that have terrified you your whole life, those can be killed, which is 
basically like the premise of Dead West in a nutshell. Hey, that thing that's terrifying you, you can shoot it. Congratulations. Um, Okay, there's the quote for the top of the next book. (laughs) Don't like the boogeyman? Cap him in the knees. Yeah. Have a good night, kids. But uh, the whole Western angle, you know, I got into Westerns because my family is from the West. Uh, you know, my, my mother and her family came from Colorado, and, and I spent my childhood out there, particularly during the summers, kind of just exploring the grand dream of the American West. Uh, some of the earliest novels in the genre that I got into were the Louis L'Amour novels, and I got into those pretty hard right up until they started releasing the posthumous books that he didn't want to be released. Poor guy. Um But, you know, there was a lot of that. There was definitely some movies that I was into pretty deeply. Tombstone is one of my favorites. Uh, Three Tinder Yuma, the new one, is fantastic. You can give me either True Grit and I'll love you for it. Uh, You know, there there was a lot going on in the Western end that was a huge influence. I am a big, big fan of Hell on Wheels as a character study. And that's, you know, there's... Definitely some influence there in terms of just at least speech patterns. You know, it it helps me find character voices because there are so many different people that speak so many different ways uh, in that series. It's it's really good for that. Um, In terms of, of horror, a lot of this is coming from, one, my love of mythology and history, and two... My being a straight-up coward, um, I was a kid who was simultaneously deeply, deeply, deeply into paranormal stuff and then deeply, deeply, deeply terrified of it. You know, I was worried, like, phantom creatures were going to take my dog. I had, I was absolutely positive that my house was haunted. I was scared of demons. Like, I was just... I was a kid with an imagination that had completely gone out of control. And that love of those creepy things has stuck with me my whole life. So this is kind of a a beautiful amalgamation of all of these things that have been such a strong influence on me my whole life. Okay. So what terrifies you the most? I have to ask after the note you ended that on. Ghosts, ghosts, absolutely ghosts, and also uh, demons to a lesser extent, though I am a a lapsed Christian who doesn't really actually believe in those things, and I would say that I'm kind of Mulder-esque when it comes to ghosts in that I would like to believe, I am open to it, but also not necessarily believing them. Um, but well, I mean, the nice things. thing is, if you're Mulder esque, it's just going to show up and haunt the crap out of yeah, you yeah, in the near future. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> still don't know what was going on in the house that I grew up in, but it was creepy as hell. Uh, there was a lot of I have witnessed a lot of stuff in my life that I'm not willing to immediately label as paranormal, but for which I don't have a rational explanation. Well, we're starting to come into the end, so why don't you tell us one of your stories? Oh, God. Um, When I was in the fourth grade, uh, I lived in the worst room in the house for all of the stuff that was going on, and I had probably one of the worst flus of my life. And I woke up in the middle of the night just 
with a massive coughing fit, just hacking my lungs out until my chest just felt shredded and raw. And in the middle of this, a voice leans in, and in my ear, I hear, and just it fades into nothing. Like, and the coughing stops, and I look around, and I'm just like, what the hell? You know, baby James, baby JP was a little less foul-mouthed than I was, but if he had been willing to cuss, he probably would have done so at that point. I, I buried my head underneath my blankets, and I just stayed there for the rest of the night. Well, I have to say, that is one of the best stories we've heard on this podcast. I think you're just slightly below the guy who thinks he might have shot JFK. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> I have definitely assassinated no presidents. Okay, but what about <laughs> vice presidents? Vice presidents, you know, I'm not a great... Well, I take that back. I am a great aim. I've not tried to kill any <laughs> yet. But he's coming for you. You know what? Look out, Joe. You give me a reason. You give me a reason. Diamond Joe is already in hiding. (laughs) You know, I think one of the things I'm going to miss the most about the Obama presidency is the cartoon character that The Onion has created out of Joe Biden. Oh, yeah. That is... (laughs) Crazy Uncle Joe. I love it. I'm going to miss him. It's the best character. It is the best. And I mean, the onion's trying. It's trying so hard with both of the new vice presidents, but it's not yeah. the same magic. Like, hey, I love the idea of Tim Kaine as a little boy who won't go to sleep when the staffers tell him to and runs around the office <laughs> on juice highs and eats Hillary posters and needs to get his stomach pumped. I feel like Tim Kaine has the potential to become what uh, <clears throat> what Dan Quayle would have been if The Onion had been such a force in pop culture when he was around. Yes. Tim Kaine's Onion persona, the best reason to vote for Hillary. (laughs) And in this election, that's probably sadly true. Still better than Trump. If only because they have no idea what to do with Pence. (laughs) Vote for Biff 2016. Okay, if they transform Trump into literal Biff, and they use Biff's picture in every article, <laughs> that is the best reason to vote for Trump. As I recall, in Back to the Future 2, one of the writers or the producers stated that, you know, somebody said, you know, um, Biff sounds a little bit like this realtor in New York. And the guy said, yeah, I've had some run-ins with him. Like, I've met him. And so he is definitely based on him. Well, they're now doing a comic book series with the biography of Timeline B, Biff. Oh, no. Yes, I really hope that it ends with him as president. (laughs) I need to read this. Where is it? It's coming out now. I think the first issue comes out this November. Oh, God. But they're going from from the start of the altered timeline to his death. I need to reopen my pull and hold. This is the comic to do it. Now that we're starting to pull into the last 10 minutes of our interview, is there anything you wanted to talk about or push or mention that we didn't get to? Maybe plug uh, really, You made a brief series ready. Uh, I am currently, uh, every week right now, I put out serial rough draft of uh, I'm doing a cyberpunk kind of noir thriller, two-fisted kind of like it's it's 
uh, an old style, you know, pound the pavement detective story, but it stars a woman who, like, her whole world is basically digitalized humanity, you know, as our last refuge. We uh, digitalized our consciousness and submitted ourselves into a, a computer reality to escape the world that was crumbling around us. And uh, she lives in this world, and she acts as what people call a Tracy, in that she seeks out and tracks down things that are missing or uh, not really understood very well. So it's actually it's been a lot of fun to write. Uh, like I said, I'm doing it in rough drafts, a little and one individual scene every Friday on my website at jpatrickallen.com. And then when the series is finished, I'm going to pull it off. I'm going to have it professionally edited and uh, get it published. Very nice. And I know you have at least a couple other things. Yeah, I am involved very deeply in a podcast that you'd mentioned, Rocket Punch Radio. Uh, we're a geek culture roundtable podcast. Every week we take a different subject and we kind of tackle it. It's, it's, I liken it to just you know hanging out with your friends. It's, it's just an opportunity to, to sit around and, and talk with a bunch of people that you really like and, and hear some diverse and interesting opinions on, on some kind of off-the-wall stuff. Uh, we just finished up this uh, last recording uh, this last Friday for um, – we've been doing all-month horror talk uh, where we would subject one of our members to a classic horror movie that they hadn't seen. We'd all come around and talk about it, and then the next week we would have a larger episode based on the general topic of that. So for the first week, uh, one of our podcast hosts, Samantha, hadn't seen Alien, uh, amazingly enough, so we subjected her to that and talked about it, and then we talked about Aliens as a horror trope uh, the week after that, and then the week after that we tackled uh, The Shining, which Nate hadn't seen for some reason, and then we talked about ghosts in, in horror and then the episode that's going up uh, tomorrow, uh, Sunday the 30th, we're going to be talking about uh, listener stories and our own personal spooky experiences. So if you want to uh, come and sit around the fire and, and listen to people tell stuff that's creeped them out, you know, that's that's a really oh, good place crap. to crap. I forgot to send in my spooky story that happened oh, on Nikki's and my first date. I oh, meant to. I forgot. Now you'll never know what happened on you'll our never first know. date that we terrified it, us. We might do it next year again if we can actually, because I, I, you know, I had to beg, borrow, and steal any stories that I could get from people, and we only ended up having one listener submission. And but, uh, you lost out because I could have probably killed five to ten minutes with everything that happened. Oh man, you know we'd have been up for that. We'd have Spooks absolutely been up for that. Oh well. <laughs> Well, if you want to check out what we had to say, uh, that will be going up on October 30th. And uh, then also we're going to have a little surprise for people who've been there as well. Uh, we've got a professional reading of one of uh, the stories that I've been posting for Halloween. I do free stories every Friday during the Halloween periods uh, for an event that I call Unhappy Endings, where I do nice. little little Halloween flash fiction. And uh, one of my favorite ones from this year we've had professionally read called The Witch of Bellwood. And uh, I just finished listening to The Master of It, and, and it's come out really great. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Okay, is there anything else? Because my back of my mind saying there's a third thing that you're doing, but I could be wrong, and I could just be having a false positive. 
Uh, Rocket Punch has a YouTube channel. For the month of October, we've gotten into the uh, the the endless chasm that is Let's Plays on YouTube. We've been doing Until Dawn, but other than that, that okay, is... Okay, when do you sleep? I feel like you're doing like maybe five or six hours less a week than I am. <laughs> because I don't sleep. I... <clears throat> I get about seven hours, and I, it's because my job gets me up at 4.30 in the morning when I used to get up to write. Now I don't get to do that anymore. Um, no, I, you know, I, I legitimately, I don't know how I do it. I think I just walk around exhausted all the time. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, no one at 18th Wall sleeps at all. <laughs> yeah, I was a little surprised when I started to figure out what your hours were. I was like, he seems to be awake from 10 p.m. to about 5 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, and if anything, yeah, and my now hours ended up switching insane. to about, oh, like 3 a.m. to 8, 9, 10 p.m. Yeah, most of James and I, most of our correspondence seems to happen at about 4 o'clock in the morning because he's doing his finishing up business just like as I wake up, like when my alarm goes off, so... <laughs> He'll send something to me. I will try to get awake enough to fire off a response. <laughs> yes, back. I actually had a list of people to step in for this episode, but you responded within like thirty seconds of me asking. You you got to me like just as I was looking at my phone when I shouldn't have been at work. <laughs> Shame. I know I'm a terrible person. Okay, we're just about finished up. So, is where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find all of my stories and all of my fun stuff uh, on the web at www.jpatrickallen.com. That's A-L-L-E-N. You would be shocked at how many people can't spell Allen as a last name. <laughs> I mean, uh, look at how many people get Edgar Allan Poe's name wrong. Oh, Ugh. God, I know. My wife is the biggest diehard Poe fangirl in the, in the universe. She She's just crazy about that stuff. She said, let's name our boy Edgar, and I said, let's not. <laughs> Um, you compromise. Find, I mean, compromise. Get a bar Allen. I like the name Edgar, and I would be great with that name if I had any other last name. To which she said, "But that's the point." No, no, no. Compromise. Name your son Allen. 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 What could go wrong? <laughs> we we talked briefly future. about the name Ethan and decided against that. Huh. Ethan, Ethan Allen. Allen. No, no, Ethan Allen. It sounds <laughs> like you a can, Tom Cruise competitor. You can find me on Twitter at J. Patrick Allen, or J. Patrick Author, rather. And uh, Rocket Punch Radio is rocketpunchradio.com or on iTunes. We love iTunes subscribers. Yes. As <laughs> I'm sure you guys understand. Give us all life. Ah, yes. Beautiful, beautiful subscribers. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. All right, and listeners, the final word is after the break. That's all there is. There isn't any more. Join us next week when Ben and I sit down with John Linwood Grant, the multifaceted, multi-genre wonder in charge of Occult Detective Quarterly, The Last Edwardian, and some more surprises that you never saw coming. Before we end, word from our sponsor, Charlotte Brotherhood. 
come to us when MHI just blows up way too many things. We're quieter. <laughs> a special thanks to Robert E. Ronsky Jr. for starting us on this journey, as well as the Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme, Beef on a Stream. Thanks to all listen, you make this possible. Please subscribe and read our show on iTunes. As our guest said, it makes a difference. And as always, everything happens somewhere. Good night.